Hello to the listeners of my PhD experience podcast. We are growing in uh, listenership. Um, the last episode was really, really good. There were lots of people that are listening to it. And that gives me energy to even do more. Um, with me today, it's a very good friend of mine. You guys will be wondering, I'm always interviewing my friends. Yes, I'm going to get to you if you're not my friend. <laughs> So um, I'm, I'm interviewing a good friend of mine today, Dr. Lua Sheyishomefon. Um, I think I've known her now for four years and it's been like forever, you know, we've even had uh, opportunity to collaborate, I think on about four manuscripts. So, uh, but I will allow her to introduce herself. So welcome, Dr. Shei. can you please introduce yourself? Uh, thanks, Tony. Thank you for having me here. And um, I'm sure your listeners understand that you have to use your friends as the guinea pigs first yeah so that's <laughs> so uh, yeah it's feels it feels like i've known you for longer but i think you're right four years yeah and then we're introduced by uh, a mutual friend um yeah but it feels like i've known you we've collaborated we've met each other's families and all of that so yeah anyways my name is Uluwashe Ishomefum and um currently i'm a postdoctoral fellow at the university of western cape uh, but I finished my PhD at the University of Witwatersrand, um, demography. So I'm a social demographer. Um, yeah, I finished my um, study demography and population studies. I think that's it. And well, my major research, I'm, I, I usually call myself a youth researcher. And uh, my primary goal is to generate research or scholarship that supports the holistic well-being of young people who experience cumulative and um, convergent risks to their healthy development yeah again guys if you if you are a demographer a social demographer in particular you are interested in youth development or, or research on young people you can reach out to my guests and, and probably collaboration can come out of it uh, otherwise uh, thank you thank you for you know finding time out of your busy schedule so for this uh, podcast recording and I'm sure it's going to be an interesting conversation um, so uh, to my first question how, when and why did you decide to pursue a PhD mm, well yeah when and why like uh, um, I wouldn't say oh I was born my environment I wanted to change the world I feel like those things are for cover letters. The truth is, um, I only decided to do a PhD doing my master's degree. I wanted to be a doctor as a child, and, and I don't even think it was because of passion or anything. I think, uh, I don't know um, if I'm generalizing or if, if I'm right or wrong, but I feel like when we're growing up, the average um, Nigerian family wanted um, their kids to either be lawyers, doctors, engineers, all those, those courses. So it just felt like normal to want to be a doctor, but that's a story for another day. I didn't get to study medicine. Um, issues related to JAM. And um, I did microbiology. And then um, I wanted to do a master's in public health, at least. Because, yeah, so I wanted to be like, I was a science student and I wanted to continue in that path. Um, well, the way life happens, and that didn't happen. So I came, I found myself in South Africa. I'd wanted to go to the UK or US also, but that didn't happen. And I did my honors here in demography and population studies, and then my master's. And then one day I'd gone to 
the head of the department's office and just asked me, oh, what do you want to do after your master's? And um, again, I think at the time, at the time when I was a master's student, um, things were not so bad in Nigeria then, or yeah, or maybe like my dreams and aspirations were as a result of my environment and all I wanted to do, or like what most of my friends used to do then, would go out of the country, have a, get a master's degree, and come back and get good jobs. <laughs> so I think things were still okay, I guess. We're not as competitive, I would say. So I, I gave him that response. Yeah, I'll go back home, get a nice job, and yeah, start life. And he said, what's the point of um, coming out the way and going back with a master's degree? Like, why don't you do something more? And that was the seed. I think he planted the seed in there. And I'm like, I started giving me some thought. I'm interesting. Okay, and I'm like, okay, nah, this sounds good. Uh, but then again, I didn't want to do it in South Africa. I'm like, okay, maybe this would be an opportunity to go do it in the US where I wanted to go in the first place, yeah. And then um, I think that was the seed that was growing in me then. So I don't, at that time, wasn't passion to change the world or anything. It was just, okay, don't st- settle for mediocrity. Just, you can do more since you have the opportunity. Yeah. You know, that, that's quite interesting because your story is also, no, no, okay, my story is it's, it's a lot different. I left Nigeria for PhD, pursue a PhD in South Africa. So and my initial thought was to do the PhD and perhaps come come back home and, and take up a lecturing job. And that was my goal when I left. <laughs> <Nigeria>. Wow. <laughs> Until I realized that, uh, that um, you know you can actually you can actually look for a job even in South Africa or anywhere in the world. So I mean, oftentimes that's always the story for many people. Not many people decide to leave Nigeria and then never to return or to return as a last resort, you see? Anyway, that, that... Well, it's not, I didn't, I didn't say it's a last resort for me. Like, I, um, <laughs> I still, I still, you know, I still want to go back to Nigeria, Tony. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but uh, I, I, just to say that I can connect with your story in that, in that regards. <laughs> Oftentimes, <laughs> you go out of the country, you see more and you perhaps... Uh, you want to get the best wish uh, Nigeria may not necessarily offer you. Uh, right now? Right now, especially in terms of uh, um, salary, you know, we begin to compare the salary uh, to what is obtainable back home. I think maybe hmm, there might be something better somewhere. Anyway, that's, uh, that's besides the point. So let's go back to, to your PhD journey. So you said so many things I would try, perhaps also like to um, follow up. Maybe one, maybe one question would be, why South Africa? What made that possible? Because uh, a lot of people ask okay. about South Africa, so they're interested in South Africa. Why South Africa? Now, now, what made it possible? Well, that's a long story, but I think we have time. Um, so uh, it wasn't my first choice. And... Um, and I like that you asked this question. When I meet people in South Africa, I guess it's the researcher in me, I'm always asking them why South Africa actually, like I ask every Nigerian I meet, I ask them because I could be wrong also, but I feel like South Africa is never really a first choice for most Nigerians. Um, I don't know if you agree with me. So why South Africa? So after my degree in microbiology, um, I'd worked in the bank. Um, I, I'm sure Tony understand our labor market in Nigeria is it's not it's not like you work in microbiology you go to the lab but it's, it could be a mess so mm. yeah 
Mm. And so I worked in the bank, but I wanted to do public health because I wanted to do medicine. And then my school didn't have, um, there was some issues with my jam results. So I had to go to a private university. And at that time, when I was um, applying, they told me that, oh, apply after the first year of microbiology, next day we're going to have medicine. Well, today, I think it's 10 years after I finished my first degree or more than, we don't have medicine yet. So, well, that's, that's, that's another story. Um, so I finished microbiology. I wanted to do um, public health and um, I worked in the bank and the plan with my mom is my mom is a single um, parent. And then the plan was, okay, you save up money for your upkeep and then I'll pay your tuition. The thing is, I'm a very curious person. Like I like I, I like to learn, and I, I guess I also do not like to be idle. So while I was working in the bank, I started an MBA program at the University of Ife. Oh, your family all over. Um, all over University, yeah, OAU. Um, because um, I applied and I got the admission. It was an executive MBA program, and yeah, but I still my eyes like I had eyes on public health. The MBA was just okay. I'm in the bank get promoted in the bank, you need to do something and all of that. So I like taking um, opportunities. That's just my own person. And I enjoy learning. Like if it doesn't cost me anything, I don't mind. I would learn like right now, if I find another degree that's going to be paid for, I'm probably going to do it. That's just who I am. So I did that and um, I got promoted. I was doing very well at the bank. My appraisals were always like excellent. So it was time for me to now go to do the master's and my mother just flipped and said, oh, there's no point to do very well in your career. And then I finished university really early also. Um, I finished university at the age of 18. So like my, my bank years, two years at the bank, I was 20 and I'd gotten promoted, I had MBA. My mother said, wow, there's no point you going for master's in public health. You're doing very well. Um, I had a mentor in the bank. That's something that would come to like the importance of mentorship. I, I, I think I've always known that as a child, like it's good to have someone you look up to, it can, can guides you because you want to be like that person and you're doing things like that person. She was like the head of treasury, Lady Bank at that time, and she was really young to be the head of treasury. And my mother said, oh, you can be like her, I just stayed there. And um, no offense to bankers, I just felt I wasn't seeing that. What I was seeing, I was so, Yes, my mother was right, but I wasn't seeing that, that woman. I've seen a lot of people in the bank who wanted to do something else, but they were kind of stuck there. Mm. But, um, the, my mentor there um, started with some people, but they were not the head of treasury at that time. So it's possible I could be, but it's also possible uh, I wasn't going to be the head of any department or anything. And then I was also bored. It was, it was the same thing. I was in customer service and I was doing the same thing every day and Get, I get bored really quickly. I think I have like a mini ADHD. And I'd written to the head of bank department to change my department. I wanted to go to e-business. I felt e-business was more challenging. So then I was now unhappy at the bank and I wasn't pursuing my dream. So I'd applied um, to Anglia Ruskin in the UK. I'd gotten the admission and my mother said, well, she wasn't going to support me. So um, that was 2011. So um, I had one year. So I, I just, I looked up schools in Africa because I knew I couldn't afford schools in the UK or in the US on my own. And I guess, I don't know if it was exposure then. Okay, I made it 2 two. So I wasn't even thinking of scholarship. Because exposure, yes, because I made it 2 I just like, okay, I wouldn't get a scholarship to a tutor, which I could tell viewers, that's a lie. You just have to try. Like, it's possible you still get it. Just have to try. Knowledge is power. So, um, so I just took that out. So I, I looked to the internet and, checked out the best schools in Africa. 
first saw the school in Egypt, UCT, Beats, and um, Stellenbosch. I didn't want to go to Egypt. <laughs> I felt it was too conservative for me. So I just ruled that out and then um, focused on the three in South Africa. And then I applied to Stellenbosch and to um, UCT and Vits. And then um, um, Vits, I think they picked up my application and I was rejected for public health. And then um, I think emails were just flying here and there, sending emails, okay, what can I do? And the lady said, okay, you don't have experience in microbiology. You've worked in the bank after microbiology. Could you do like an honors degree? And then you can now do public health after the honors degree. It was a difficult decision because I was going to fund that degree myself. So I had money just to fund the master's degree, but now they were telling me to do honors. I was not happy at the bank. So, and then this is also something personal. Like for me, I, I'm not happy at the bank. I want to go to a master's. I wasn't going to get a master's. Well, I was just going to take the honors degree because I was going to learn anyway. And this was me who had done like an MBA. I finished my MBA. And I was going back to do honors degree because I wanted to do a master's in public. So my, my, my thinking was, okay, I could now apply for a master's degree after the honors degrees. Yeah, and that's how I came for myself on that honors degree. And I, yeah, it was, it was tough because um, I had to, so, so I was moving from health sciences to social sciences, but it was good experience. I, I enjoyed it and yeah. And after that year, I sent um, my mom the results and she was happy and she gave me my graduation. Okay, I remember when I was applying, she was laughing at me like, oh, um, you know that going abroad does not mean anything. There are also like um, schools that are not very good abroad. <laughs> like, I don't know, for people who are not Yoruba, like Yoruba people understand, Jackie Lacey schools. <laughs> so just, she, just didn't, she just didn't think I'll be able to afford a good school. So I remember after the honors degree, she came from my graduation and she saw me, she was like, wow, how did you find this school? <laughs> In my mind, I'm like, of course, I'm not a dummy. And then, of course, she funded my master's and back to my supervisor, um, was he later supervised my PhD by that time was the head of department said that and yeah that was that wow what an incredible journey um, so so now let's now go straight into your PhD hmm. I was going to ask you how you you decided for a supervisor but I think it's, it's pretty obvious the supervisor had haunted you Perhaps uh, it's seen potential in you and then felt like, wow, I won't allow this, <laughs> this uh, student of mine to go. Because oftentimes, Swarasa uh, can tell uh, students that are capable of completing a PhD. But uh, maybe what I would ask you is um, sponsoring your study in South Africa, especially your PhD. Uh, how, how, how did you manage to sponsor your study? Any tips for winning funding and scholarships? Yeah, sure. Um, first tip is just to keep trying. That's just, I think, I don't know if it's the first or the only tip. You just have to keep trying. I don't, I don't think anyone is, um, knows how to apply for funds or funds to fall on your lap. No, you just have to keep trying. So um, after my master's and after I said that, of course, um, I didn't want to burden my mom with um, funding my PhD. Like the, the plan was to get the master's get a job and like I felt like the PhD wasn't a concern that's my own now personal ambition um so I was applying I think I applied for NRF well I applied for a lot of scholarships I didn't get them like the rejections were a lot um I'm doing the time where I was applying I was working so there's a time where you just finished your master's and you want to do a PhD 
that's a very difficult time for most students. I don't know if we had that stage, Tony, but it's difficult because you're not even sure if you want to do a PhD. So somebody like, so for me, uh, oh, PhD was a good idea because of, don't go back to my interview with a master's. So um, there was no, the passion was not there yet. Like I wasn't, there was no burning desire. So, so I was applying for jobs and um, also applying for scholarships. And well, I wasn't very lucky, even with the jobs, there were jobs that I thought oh, I'd rather go home and um, I'm sure I'd find better jobs at home because the rents and stuff like that was really bad. Um, but then there was an opening in my department for um, research. I don't remember what it's called, like pre-doctoral fellowships, yes. So I applied for that, did the interviews, and then I got it. And yeah, so it was okay, but it's not like the pay wasn't great. So I was still applying. So I remember at the time, the time in between my master's and my PhD, I'd worked with, uh, with an NGO. So the lesson here is um, relationships. And um, so I'd worked with this guy and it was, was really, was really, was a nice, um, was nice work experience. But the following year, um, they had, I think there were no funds in our NGOs operate. So while I was a doctoral intern, at um, Demography and Population Studies, um, DPS. There was a Qatar call. Um, that's the scholarship I would later um, get. And um, Qatar is uh, majorly for lecturers in, it's a consortium, so I think about eight universities. Um, so technically I didn't qualify because I wasn't a lecturer, but I was a pre-doctoral intern. So I called, focal person at the University of Witwatersrand. Um, I, would, I would mention his name. So I'd worked with Jude uh, at Broadridge Healthcare. He was a great supervisor and all of that. So when, and I don't know if you guys know what Qatar is, consulting for advanced research training in Africa. So when the Qatar call came, I saw it because I had the VTL address. So I called him and so there was Qatar and some other one. I don't remember the other one now. Um, probably was rejected, that's why I don't remember it. So Jude said, oh, so I asked him, can I apply? Because it's for lecturers and said it, like, I'm sure he doesn't know, but I think he's like responsible for me getting Qatar technically. So he said, well, you have a bit email address, go for it. Um, like there's nothing stopping you from applying. And uh, well, if you don't apply, you don't know, but if you apply, it's possible you um, get it. And I remember I went back to my supervisor, who would be my supervisor then, and he even said, no, you're not going to get this for lecturers. But you told me to apply for it. And that's, uh, so the lesson here for your, um, your listeners is, there's some calls, there's some calls for a scholarship, or for anything that you would think, oh, no, I can't get this. Or maybe you, because people always assume, okay, you need to make it two, one, you need to make it first class, or to do a PhD. No, you don't. You just need to try. It's possible at that time. Maybe those who made the first class, there's something they don't have and you have and then. So yeah, I applied for it and that's how I got funding for my PhD through Qatar. And then I also had applied for NRF previously, I was rejected, but then I got NRF again. So yeah, I was funded by Qatar and the NRF National Research Foundation, which is in South Africa. Wow, wow. I mean, that, that's uh, plenty of money. <laughs> Enjoyment. <laughs> So seriously? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I, I've, I heard about Qatar. So, in fact, a friend of mine got it too and, <laughs> and told me how much, how much that scholarship was. 
Yes, and and then and then if I was uh, if I was still a student, I'll tell you not to come rob me. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. No, that that's a good one. Um, maybe maybe another thing uh, I would like you to also reflect on is uh, choosing a topic. How, how was the experience? Oh wow, that that wasn't a nice experience. I remember that very well, and I don't think it's nice for anybody. It's, oh well, maybe there's some lucky people. It was bad. So when I was applying for Qatar, Qatar, um, they want something related to um, they, their call is specific, like every other call. And that's the thing with applications. Uh, something I say with my friends who are not even academy applying for jobs. You have to twerk for each funder. You have to twerk differently. So what you're telling this person is what you're telling the other person. You just need to read the call and know what you need to tell them. And you need to tell them if they are telling you they want something on teenage pregnancy, you need to write like you love teenage pregnancy, like you are going to be the champion of teenage pregnancy. That's just the way it works. So I'd written something on adolescent pregnancy for the Qatar call, and then I got it. And then I don't remember like when I was talking to my supervisor, and then he just said, "Oh no, there's nothing new here. Let's change it." And then we changed to youth development. And I remember I'd written a whole proposal on youth development. I think I'd submitted it. it. was I thought it was supposed to be going well, but the measurement was just hectic. Like, how do you, it's so, it's so broad. How do you measure it? And I think after, after like one year, I was just wasting time on that. And then the thing about Qatar is you're working with other people and it's a structured program. So there's, there's also, which is a good and bad thing, it's pressure, like you need to move with your classmates who are like in a class. So you don't want to repeat a year on something. So I remember just to, I, I didn't have a topic. Yeah, just to, I didn't have a topic. I think just to is when you're meant to, your topic should have been, your proposal should have been submitted. So back and forth, back and forth. So I'd written a paper on risky sexual behavior, ethnicity, and then risky sexual behavior. And I'm not just talking to my, with my supervisor. And I don't know if I would call it like some, um, aha moment and something like that I had to do with, we're always talking about risky sexual behavior. What about the um, young people who are not engaging in risky sexual behaviors, who are engaging in sexual behaviors? Um, the why, why are they doing it? So something like all oh, sexual resilience now and like sexual negotiation, sexual competence. At that time, I didn't have all of these terms, but that's what it is now. And that's how I took that, and that's how I finally got the topic. Wow, that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's a long time, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you experienced that, but I think it's pretty. That first year of the PhD, it's, it's a mess. In my, just trying. in my own case, I, I was um, I had uh, plan A, plan B for my topics because I had enough. Really. Yeah, I had enough time to reflect on what I really wanted to study. You know, I oh, that was before you came here. Yeah, I did my masters, and then I was working, and uh, and there were a lot of um, public health issues that emerged in from my class, from my masters. Okay, lucky you. My interest. So for me, it was it was it was. Uh, I think it took me three months to complete my proposal. Wow! That was because I had two years or more to reflect on what what to pursue. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess uh, it. Uh, you're, you're an outlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had enough time to actually think about my 
Um, in fact, my, my, my PhD thesis was based on, on, on uh, experiences that, that are closer to home, but not necessarily personal experiences, yeah? Hmm. Uh, maybe I can also touch on it, you know, um, there, there, are two, there, are, there are so many events at the time hmm. in my class, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this because it might bring memories back to, to the people that this event happened to. Maybe uh, let me just keep okay. what happened in my class and touch on, yep. on the general one. Now, when, when, uh, in fact, the, the, the major motivation for my study was the case of a woman that gave better to me. Mm. Sadly, but I think uh, the story wasn't a you know wasn't clean you know. But what was, what what I was told was she gave birth to to triplets or quadruplets, yeah, and all four children, mm. all of them died, and they died within wow. hours of childbirth. Like it was crazy. It was important. It was it was a landmark uh, occurrence. Perhaps maybe first in the history of the village. Mm -hmm. I, I can't at least. In my memory of that, of my community, that was the first. I never heard of any woman give birth to four children. Uh, I've heard of, of uh, mm. quadruplets, but not quadruplets. And for all four of them to die was, was just shocking and bewildering for me at the time. So I, first, I stepped thinking, why are, women, why, why are children dying? Uh, and why are people giving birth at home? I suppose that, that such pregnancy should have been mm. managed in the hospital. So. And, you know, so, so I started reading yeah. about that, and, um, and and that's how I came about my my topic. Anyway, that's that's just <laughs> that's just a little distraction. So now, I think before I, I talk about writing this thesis, I know you had a lot of fun time, or what I call fun time, conferences, traveling all over the world. Tell mm. me about your first trip. <laughs> how you funded this? Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. Um, my first trip was um, I was going to present my master's thesis. Uh, my master's thesis was on, uh, was on something similar to what you've done, postnatal care utilization by the secondary data, the DHS. And there was the International Conference on Urban Health. It would be wrong to forget my first conference. <laughs> yeah, because it was my first time. And it was in Manchester. Of course, I was a master's student. I did not know how to apply for funds. Um, it was after doing my page, I realized like I even got PMA, but I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that just tells you that if you do not look for information, it's not going to come to you. You need to search for it. Like, yeah. Um, so I got funded by my uncle. Wow. Yeah. My, my mom kind of funded my PhD together. So yeah, my uncle paid for, um, that that conference and yeah I was excited because at that time I don't I don't remember having the PhD dream then I just really wanted to experience like it was nice for my master's thesis to be um, presented at my um, international conference wait actually I'm not sure now I think my first national conference was a big one um, IUSSP in South Korea which was funded by IUSSP now I don't remember because I remember one of my mentors then telling me like, oh, she, you're starting big. So actually, I don't. So either the Manchester came first and then South Korea came after that. And for the South Korea conference, I um, collaborated with a senior faculty at the department and was a PhD student at that time. Yeah, actually, yeah. And that was that was well taken care of. Everything was um, all expense paid trip. For a mass, I, I was a master student then going to South Korea. ISS was like the biggest 
conference for demographers, social scientists, like it's big, it's because it's once in four years. And yeah, so yeah, I got funding then, yeah. No, wow, wow. I mean, that's a huge one. I, I, I never, yeah. I, I did not even imagine presenting my master's uh, uh, thesis in a conference. Of course, maybe not. There was a sociology conference at the time, but again, it wasn't. I was not going to travel on Nigeria Road for any for for anything that's not. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, Tony. Like just to say, yeah, that's a good one. But um, I'm going to tell you and the viewers, like my honors. Was, I think I, I think I've always liked research, but I just didn't know I liked research because I wasn't a good um, maybe proper environment. So my honors research wasn't presented in an international conference, but I got um, duped by this. I don't know if the word is duped, but by this, uh, what do you call them, predatory publishers? Like, I'm sure no one, no one look at my CV now and think, oh wow, she got duped. But I got beaten once by those guys. Um, they contacted me that they'd seen my honors work with determinant of um, female labor force participation, which was like the highest um, in the department at that time. Like, I got the highest score for that project. So I'm like, oh wow. So that same joy, and people contacted me, they wanted to publish for me. And in two days, these guys said, oh, they've read it. So just to tell you that. People make mistakes also, and then we don't talk about these mistakes. We just talk about the success stories. And they, they told me that they've read it and they're going to publish it, and they even took two hundred and fifty dollars from me. <laughs> so, in which respect, it's funny now, but I was so excited to get published at that time. But it's a predatory journal, and then uh, yeah, I paid and they, I don't, and they published it in court. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. You don't yeah. find a paper in the TV right now, anyway. Yeah, we we, we will talk about. Uh, um... Uh, publications um, and uh, maybe just uh, to, to, to stay on conference to just say I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm quite impressed to hear that you presented your work in Manchester in South Korea even master's thesis because back home in Nigeria I did my PhD in Nigeria and um, for you to find a master's student that actually presented their findings in an international conference uh, you, you would have to search really really hard I'm not saying that uh, there are no <laughs> students uh, that need to achieve that. I'm just saying that you will have to search really, really hard. Because for me, the only conference that came to mind was um, Sasa Conference. But even at that, mm. even at the time itself, uh, I'm not sure I had completed my thesis. It wasn't even at the stage where you can even write abstract and apply. And as soon as I completed my master's thesis, I left for, for a job straight away. So yeah, just, just to also point to that. And perhaps also if uh, there are master students listening, you know, from all over the world, uh, even back home in Nigeria, it means that you can actually present your master's thesis in international conferences and begin to- uh, Even your honors, you can even present your honors also. Yeah, even your honors and begin to, even though if you are not even interested in, um, a career in academics, just like her at the time, she just wanted to share her findings and, and perhaps publish and, and present <laughs> the findings as well. So yeah, so I mean, those exposure, there's a lot to learn from the international exposure, just, just to note that. Um, now let, let's talk about um, traveling even more i know you traveled you traveled a lot to almost all the countries in africa <laughs> and so many countries in the world so, no, just tell me. Tony, you need to be careful please wait 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 tell no me. don't say I, that I, I said i must ask this question how many countries in total did you visit <laughs> during your phd Tony, i'm sorry i can't, I can't disclose that information 
<laughs> okay. Okay. okay, I'll just say I'll just say more than the average person with a Nigerian passport, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was I say Nigerian passport over. Oh, that <laughs> the point I was just going to note is that you know, PhD shouldn't don't have to be entirely boring. You you can travel absolutely and enjoy yourself and have fun because uh, traveling also Thoughts of take you, it will take your mind away from the pressure, the, the, the inter challenges of PhD. And uh, just, just to say you should have fun and all that. I, for one, I slept in so many funny, funny places <laughs> just to be able to attend some of these conferences. <laughs> yeah, okay. I would say, I, I would say, sorry to cut you short, I would say, aside from traveling, you definitely need other activities outside your PhD, like you definitely need that. I don't know. Um, I know it's not a one size fits all approach, but I don't know, Tony, you know, like I don't think you, you need, you need other hobbies and traveling is a good one. Yeah, so traveling is a nice one. And um, I could just, I'm um, just cutting you short. It doesn't have to be expensive. So the thing is, the nice thing is I love traveling, PhD or no PhD. So if I wasn't a demographer, if I wasn't doing this, I always tell my friends, I'll probably be working barefoot somewhere in India. I love traveling. Like, and the good thing is uh, my travel is not expensive. So I don't need a lot of money to travel. So I, I know a lot of uh, my Nigerian friends don't like your backpacking thing, but I don't mind because it's what I can afford. So just to say, um, so as a student, as an honors and master student, I've been to most of the Southern countries by road. So I'd gone to, um, Botswana, um, and I didn't even go to Gaborone. I'd gone to the north, that's the Okavango Delta by roads, like 16 hours. That's crazy, but it's something I enjoy. I'd been to Swaziland, um, I'd gone to Lesotho, and I could tell you, it didn't cost me a lot. And it, the thing about these places, as, so I just took the opportunity. I was in South Africa, I was a student, I had a student visa. It's easy for them to give you a visa to those places. So you just need to take advantage of where you're at. Um, so in in uh, in uh, in Botswana, I stayed not in the hostel, but it wasn't crowded. So I have not really experienced those conditions, those backpacking conditions, because I think it's also the time when you travel. So if you're traveling off peak period, so this is travel tips. I think you should pay me for giving travel tips. <laughs> if you're period, you wouldn't find a lot of backpackers. So you know when it's summer in um, South Africa, a lot of Europeans come down when it's summer. Obviously, if you're going to backpackers. There's going to be a lot of them there, and you're not going to enjoy it. But if you're trying, um, traveling an off-peak period, you probably be the only one in the dorm, so you you don't you don't have that experience. And I, I haven't had that experience, so that's why I can tell people to do it because I haven't had that experience where you're sleeping with ten people. No, it's also and, fun. Um, it's also fun sleeping with uh, in in a, in a hostel. Uh, maybe the mm-hmm. first uh, day or two <laughs> may feel. <laughs> yeah, as Nigerians, that we're not used to that. You're going yeah. to be. You may feel awkward <laughs> in the first day or two, but you, you, you definitely get used to it, you know, because you spend most of your time outside just visiting places. You just come back and sleep at night after all. So it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, even it's, it's, it's one experience to even have. And if you can travel off peak period to great, it means you can, you can get cheaper accommodation. They are more comfortable, mm. yeah. Now, uh, let, let's talk about uh, one, one, one thing, writing the thesis and publishing. What was your experience like? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was not easy. 
writing the thesis. Um, writing the thesis. It's funny that you jumped to writing the thesis because I think something that was really, really stressful was getting ethical approval. I don't know if that comes up uh, writing the thesis. And I, I'm saying this because the PhD experience is definitely taking you out of your comfort zone. That's something people should learn. I was a, I'm a demographer, quantitative researcher. I told you, you know, most of my papers, I've only used DHS, like DHS the, uh, needs data, like mostly secondary data. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And then after coming up with the research questions, I had to do a mixed method study. No experience in that. It took me a year to get ethical approval. And um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it could have been a downer. It could have been. It could have been a very difficult time for me doing my PhD. But that year, I used, and that was the time I wrote the first paper I wrote with you, our bed spacing paper. When I was waiting for my ethical approval, I remember. I remember vividly when Kudus had connected us, mm. uh, meeting with one of the ethical people. Like my applying for ethics, I was. I was so bad at it. Like it's gone back and forth. And the committee, they act, one of them had to say he needed to see me personally because obviously I didn't understand what they were telling me. So they needed to see me personally to understand if this person knows what it is to apply for ethics. So he needed to talk to me to tell me this, this, and that. So why I raised that up is, why I brought that up is, you're going to go through challenges doing your PhD. So my first year when I was sorting out my um, proposal, I focused on going to conferences. And um, I also say, like, um, um, a side note is when I was going for, when you're going for conferences, when you're doing, it's just pages like life, when you're doing these things, not everyone is going to agree with you, but you need to know where you're going. I need to do what, it's good to take advice because on your page, journey, everyone's going to give you advice. You just need to now sit down and decide which of the advice you're going to take, what is useful for you, to you at that time. A lot of people thought I was going to for too many conferences. It could be it could be wrong or right. Because even when I wanted to start a PhD, some people said, no, no, you need work experience for your PhD. But you need to know ad advice is contextual. Hmm. So if, if you don't have a job and someone is saying, oh, you need to get a job before you do your PhD, would you wait to get a job before you do your PhD? No. While I was with my proposal to get approved back and forth, and I didn't have anything to do, I needed to get a distraction going for conferences. Of course, it's possible that going for conferences um, would be seen as you're not focused, but I had nothing else to do. My proposal wasn't approved and, and all of that. So the time of, of my ethical approval also, then I focused on right, I think that was the year I published like maybe six or six papers. I published a lot that year, collaborating. I collaborated with Tony, collaborated with um, people who came for research, um, exchange research in my department, so many people. And then people you meet at conferences, you try to work with them. And also you would contact so many people you meet at conferences, it's, they will tell you, oh, nice, let's work together. When you get back, you send emails, they don't want to work with you because they are busy. You shouldn't take it personal. You shouldn't stop you from asking other people because you're going to really get rejections, like rejections that wouldn't make sense to you. Like, cause you're, you're a young researcher, you're trying to move up the ladder, you're contacting people and you expect like, oh, they should embrace you. Oh, sorry, it's life. They take it personal, they're just busy because they're also dealing with their own stuff at that stage. So I just wanted to point that out first. So it took me time to get ethical approval and after I got it, my food work was great. Um, 
Um, of course, I actually missed on the field, but I enjoyed it because I, I realized I, I like talking to young people and they like talking to me. And I went to all the first states. It was really nice. I had gone to Kano, Enugu, Oshun, and Edo State. It was, it was a good experience for me. I enjoyed it. And then I got back and then to write the actual thesis. So, okay. Because um, I had different research questions, one of my research questions was focused on um, the DHS. So during the year while I was waiting for my ethical approval, I was working on that. So you shouldn't allow um, setbacks. You shouldn't let them define the old PhD. So you can do other things. There's so many things you can do. You can collaborate. It's not easy. Yet. So just to say, it's, it's not very easy because you're also going to be depressed. And things are not going well. Your colleagues are doing better, like people in your court and all of that. But after, after the depression, it's going to end. You need to still pick yourself up and do what you have to do, unfortunately, or fortunately. So yeah. Um, so I got back from field work and it was a whole lot of data. But then the good thing is you don't, you don't have to finish up that data during your page. That's why there's postdoc years. Hmm. So you just try to answer your research question with the data you can use also asking questions from people. And uh, something I haven't mentioned, but I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm passionate about is mentorship. Mm. I love asking questions. I love it. Like, I don't care how you feel when I ask you something. I'm going to ask you how you feel is your concern. I'm just concerned about knowing what I'm asking you. So yeah, you can act like, oh, you should know this. Thing. So, oh, sorry, unfortunately, I don't. And I'm asking you. So you, if I, you tell me or ask someone else, I'm going to ask you. And there are only two um, options, either you tell me or you don't. If you tell me, good for me. If you don't, I go to someone else. So yeah, you ask people who have done it before. I know for my proposals, um, I ask a lot of people. And when you ask people, know that you get, that's also a downside. You get so many responses that could affect how, what, how your page is going to be shaped. So even so when I was writing my results, I spoke to people about it, even people outside my I remember I spoke to you, Tony, about my work. So you speak to people outside, outside your supervision or your supervisor and all of that. And they would um, tell you, they would advise you. And um, I'm just going to mention here, um, author aid really helped me do my page. I met so many nice mentors, people I spoke with about my work. And they helped me with writing the thesis, with trying to um, combine my results, the old mixed methods, the DHS my own um, secondary data I collected and the quality data I collected also. So it, it, it was, so I, I didn't find like, I think because of the experience with the proposal writing and the challenges with ethics, writing my results was not so, it wasn't so difficult. It was just, it was just a lot and I needed to figure out how to compress it. Hmm. Perhaps uh, your writing experience in terms of uh, publishing before also helped. Because that could not be yes, I think emphasized so. or yeah, I think so as well. So now, yeah, people may think that uh, writing is so easy. <laughs> I don't know your own journey, but uh, I know. No, it's not. Yeah, your first write-up is always not not what you are most proud of. So so perhaps maybe you can tell us about drafting your first paper. What was your experience? Was it you? Okay, I I, I note that you said your first paper was in a previous journal because they reached out to you. <laughs> yes. So I'm talking about yeah. your first paper now. I, I, what was what was okay? It? 
Luckily for me, I, I think that's why mentorship is ill. I'm going to die on my most of my first papers were collaborative work. So um, I think it was a special issue in my department then. Um, okay, I had one, my first one, and then I collaborated with the two others. So you see, it was also an easy start for me. So that's why I always say it's, it's different for different people. So it wasn't like, so if you're collaborating with people, there's, there's some experience you get from talking to people about something that you can put into your own work. Hmm. So that's my first paper was my master's thesis, um, which I had submitted to the BMC. I'd written the thesis already, so I just needed to get out stuff from the thesis for the paper itself. Uh, of course, it was rejected from BMC Public Health, but they did see some um, sense in it, and they suggested I send it to research notes. And it went back and forth and then was finally accepted. Um, so the experience with my first paper, I would say, the first draft is never, it's, it's never the best, but something that works for me that I know that doesn't, some people don't like it is I'm always quick, I'm not attached to my first draft. I'm always quick to let it go. Um, it's, 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 it, it could be a good or a bad thing. Like I always say, well, there's no one size fits all approach. So after, I, I'm sure Tony also knows because we've worked together. So, I write and I release it to the co-authors, like, because I've put in, like, it's like I've shot my last arrows. So I've put in everything. There's no point waiting for perfection, which I know I have other friends who want to perfect it. Just feel it takes more time. And then I share it with people who can give me um, advice. But the thing is, at the time where I've sent it out, it gives me time to start another paper, work on another paper. That, that's what works for me. Um, so I think um, what I'm trying to say is when I write a first draft, I'm quick to share it with peer mentors, with colleagues, or with senior colleagues who would look at it before I submit it. And um, I, I don't, at that time, I would say well, rejections were painful. But later on, you get to find that rejections help you improve the paper. And when you go back to read the reviewer's comments, you would see sense in it. But the first time when you get it, you're just upset and mad, like, why did they reject you, blah, blah, blah. But after, after, after some time, and I, one of the papers we wrote, I remember Tony, we had written a paper together, and they accepted it. And I said, no, we're not going to submit this paper. We're not, we're not going to submit it because I don't think we've reached the level where we're going to submit a paper and there's no comment. And I'm like, no, I'm not submitting my paper to this journal. I'm taking it elsewhere. I can, because there's no perfect paper. It needs to be, people, somebody needs to give, it needs to be read by somebody else who sees things different from you. And I think that that's, that's my experience with writing. Um, I don't hold my drafts. I let it go and then it gets back and then I make corrections. Hmm. I, I think you've sort of touched on my next question. Uh, I was going to ask about dealing with rejection because I feel, feel like maybe it's one question I've not been asking, but I know that it's something that you're going to experience a lot, especially if you pursue a career in academics, like what I mean by pursuing a career is perhaps doing research and, and, and writing pub, uh, papers, publications, or even applying for grants or applying for scholarship, you're going to get a lot of rejections. So what, what, how, how would you say, uh, or what would you say works for you in terms of dealing with rejection? <laughs> I think I'll say sleeping. <laughs> when you get a rejection, you sleep first and then you wake up with your fresh head. Dude, every rejection hurts like the first one. I can't even like, um, I can't, I'm not going to deny that. There's no rejection that doesn't hurt because you've put in a lot of work into a paper. 
or into anything. And then it comes back and they tell you it's not good enough. Of course, sometimes they tell you it's good enough, but at the end of the day, I see rejection as it's not good enough because if it was good, you wouldn't reject, you wouldn't reject me, but probably not a good way to look at it. Um, but I think as a, as a young researcher, you would feel bad because we're also suffering from imposter syndrome, first of all. You already, you sometimes you feel like you're not good and then you get rejected. But I would just say, you just keep trying. And then something I would say to support that is my internship at the World Bank. I got in at the third try. I was rejected two times, but I didn't stop applying because I really wanted it. I wanted that experience. And I go, so you, you, you're going to get rejected. That's certain. That's, that's normal. But you just need to try again. Um, and so I think what I would say is when you have your paper, you need like five journals. Like, like you, for your proposal, you said you had plan A and B. So when you want to submit, there's something I use, Jane. Uh, you put your abstract there, and then it tells you um, journals where you can submit. So also, you could also look at your references, and then you choose the journals you want to submit it from your references, and you you prepare for it. And um, it's not easy. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not. It's, there's nothing. Rejection is not nice. It's not fancy. It's, it's bad. But it also builds you. I think rejection builds character <laughs> because you would uh, improve on the draft. And then send it to another journal. And, and you get to this, um, as a master's student, if your journal accepted my paper, I wasn't going to say, oh, they accepted my paper too quickly. And I would say, no, I want to submit it elsewhere. But sometimes I submit my paper to some journals and I don't like the comments. I'm the one rejecting them because I'm not, so I'll, I'll tell them I'm withdrawing my paper. So it's, 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 it's rejection builds character. No, I, um, and then you I remember this, uh, so I think it was a paper we did on drug use. And we, mm -hmm. submitted to, we submitted to one journal, and the journal said we should go for their, for their, I think, subsidiary journal or something. Remember, I think we submitted, I can't remember the first journal we submitted. Yeah, we, we submitted, and then we submitted to a journal that told us. We no, no, the journal directed us to, a, to their subsidiary journal. Mm. It was a Sage journal, I can't remember the journal, but so maybe journal on drug use or something, drug and drug usage disorder or something. So if you go to our subsidiary journal, which happens to be yeah, maybe cogen social science or something, something. And then four people re re reviewed it and they were all saying <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> and I remember you saying, no, no, uh, let's take it somewhere else that, uh, yeah. And, 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 and I think we took it somewhere else and we got uh, good, good reviews and the paper, you know, sort of, sort of went through what, we, what I would call transformation, you know. I would, mm -hmm, I would, mm -hmm, exactly. I've been proud of the, of the, of the initiative. Yeah, so that is, how, that is what you should see rejection as transformation. It, it helps you, but I'm not going to lie that it, um, it's nice when you receive it because if put in work, we, we put in work in the first draft, but it's just... Um, you you it's you would improve so it's hard but doesn't don't don't give up so it, maybe like it's um we're human so once you get rejected like i said you drop it for like a week there's some papers like i've dropped for uh, um one year there's a paper I finally submitted this year um i think it was it's for my phd actually and i've for my page so you, could, you can tell how long i've been working on it and I've dropped it, but I've picked it up again. So at some point you're going to go back to it because that is it's your career, it's your passion, you enjoy it. So yeah, it's, it's not, you're going to get rejected in this business. Mm -hmm. Grants, 
conferences, but you just need to get back up and keep applying. You know, I, I remember I remember someone telling me that, oh, so they still reject your paper. Like, mm-hmm. was was surprised. I think we did. Uh, maybe I was telling telling him about my paper that was rejected. I was like shocked. Mm-hmm. So they still reject your paper. I laughed. <laughs> like, if you know what, okay. what rejections I've had to deal with in my life, perhaps you won't be asking this question. And you never so I think that's what we should always tell early career researchers. For every paper acceptance we have, we probably have like 20 rejections, but mm. we don't have rejections. So, but they want to see somebody celebrating a paper. Trust me, that paper has probably been through hell and now it's nice. So we only celebrate, um, okay, this paper is out now, but it's probably been rejected a few times. Hmm. That, 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 there was one paper that I think I also need to mention. This paper was the first paper I drafted. And I submitted it to BMPA Session and Reproductive Health. You know, for me, I had confidence. Mm-hmm. I've always been a very confident person. So I wasn't necessarily, I've never looked for easy way out in my life. Like, I <laughs> that's I started, nice. I started with BMPA Session and Reproductive Health. And uh, wow. Yeah, the first paper I wrote was submitted to BMG session, and I got lots Audacious. of audacious. I, I was I was quite daring, you know. I got lots of comments, and come to think of it, I kept using the comments to improve the paper. But again, mm. less rejection than all. The paper was rejected, I think, eight times. Or at wow, least, wow! My first paper, what I <laughs> I was as tough as it, as it gets. I was never going to give. <laughs> Yeah, yeah because it, it wouldn't work, so you can't you can't give up. No, I could not. I kept going. It was, I mean, it was really I was sad, but I kept pushing. I kept I remember attending writing workshop, just discussing the comments with people at the writing workshop. Um, you know, just learning how to be, make my writing better and, and all that. And I eventually got published by, I think, BMCL Services. In fact, the second paper I did got published before, before this first paper, which was published in mm-hmm. BMCL Public Health. And, uh, but again, just to say that um, it wasn't the end of my rejection. <laughs> I still kept getting That's funny. If you are getting all your papers accepted, that means you are not aiming higher, you know? If yeah. You, Try the top, top, mm-hmm. top journals. You're going to definitely get rejections. Okay, maybe we, 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 we end it there. Maybe uh, I have one last question. So what were your main challenges during your PhD? I think it's um, sometimes the PhD can be, um, I, um, I think it can be a lonely experience because if you're in a court, everyone is having different, everyone is having their own problems and then you don't want to, um, you feel like you they're having their own issues and they don't want to disturb them. So sometimes you have to figure out things on your own because everyone is busy sorting out themselves. Um, yeah, aside from my proposal challenges on ethics, yeah, I think this is the fact that sometimes there's no there's no help in sight. But um, the good news is you can also use that time to relax and chill and then. Um, just wait for, app would always come eventually, but sometimes at the time when you need it, you're not going to have it, but you can wait and um, people would um, definitely help you. Like it's, it's so like, I, I like to highlight them um, challenges, but there's, there's always um, um, also how you can fix it. So the PhD is definitely a lonely experience because it's, it's, it's your own 
it's your own verse because hmm. everyone else is their own phd so if all your friends are also doing phds so you definitely need um distractions hmm. and uh, for me, me personally traveling is um, I also like to play football. Tony knows I play fantasy football and I also play actual football with my friends on uh, Sunday. So you need, so I, I joke, I, what my joke is you need something else that would, that you would fail at because most of the time you feel like you're failing at your page until you finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, this is my, the proposal stage and my ethics stage. I think because I was able to um, maneuver those two trying periods writing up was not very difficult i know i didn't really experience that and because i was doing the ethical stage i was answering my first research question with the dhs and i'd already so i was in a comfortable space when i was writing because i'd published so there was the confidence that i just needed to do good work um i'd published already so i in a way i knew that most reviewers would um, enjoy reading my work because they've read it before the thesis itself so that kind of also made me feel at ease, yeah, so yeah. Maybe, maybe one, one final question is, if you were to use one word or phrase to, to describe your PhD experience, what would that word be? Roller coaster. Yeah, it was a roller coaster. Okay, I think that's, uh, that, that's the point uh, to end uh, this uh, conversation. Thank you very much for sharing your experience. Um, I'm sure there might be other follow-up questions that people may have and, uh, and i would just encourage them to send in their questions if you need mentors too you can also reach out so and, but if you have questions you can and you also if you also want to collaborate you can also reach out so thank you thank you for sharing your experience yeah thank you very much tony and well done like i think this is a great opportunity for I feel like maybe if we add this, uh, this is like a cheat sheet because you get to speak with people who have different experiences and that's nice because yeah, um, it's not p- definitely paid is a one size fits all. I told you today, like um, while I was hiking, I was thinking about this and I was in my, like, I was just reflecting. Um, PhD is like life, like I can is like life where you decide to start something, it's painful. It's, it's mm. the pain sometimes is excruciating and then, um, you started with some people, some people go ahead of you, some people are behind, they come before you, you, you um, pass some people. It's not fun when you're doing it, like ICANN is not fun. And then by the time you get to the summit, it's so nice. Like it's, then it's totally worth it. And everyone is, by the time you get to the summit with ICANN, you're taking pictures, everyone sees those pictures and excited. But no one actually, you don't take pictures when you're crying, like, okay, this rock is too, I can't climb this rock, it's such a chore. Blah blah blah. Yeah, so um, that's life. Also, people just see, oh, this person is posting, um, nice, nice. I just got this job, but no one tells you, oh, I got rejected. It's uh, seven hmm. and all of that. So I guess pages like that, like, and then okay, I feel like once you decide to do it, you shouldn't give up. But sometimes it's okay to give up and then get back to it. So yeah, it's hmm. definitely so that podcast is good. It's not the one size. It's an approach, and I, I think anyone can do it. You don't, you don't need to be a first class or a top student to get a PhD. All you need is um, resilience, perseverance, and hard work. Yeah, great. Resilience, perseverance, and hard work is all you need to get a PhD. Thank you for listening to another episode of my PhD Experience Podcast.
If you are interested in Dr. Shei's post-PhD experience, please stay tuned. Asal will be releasing the part of my interview with her next week. I am your host, Anthony, saying goodbye.